I'm Sam McLaren Fahey, and this is season three of You Survived, Now What? I survived. I survived. I survived. Now what? We are back after an unscheduled life interruption, and I am so, so happy to be here. If you are new to the show, welcome. In this show, we hear from survivors of all different forms of trauma. We learn their story, and we discover their now what. I ask each guest, now what? Because regardless of the storytellers or the listener's experience, life keeps moving forward. So for some, their now what is that they've used their experience to change the world or to fight for themselves and for others. And for some, their now what is waking up every day and surviving. Every now what is valid and valued. I started the show back in January after my own journey of survival. My story was the topic of our very first episode. In my personal life, I had this little trauma club of friends that I could share stories with and laugh with and cry with. It felt like there was the secret that we all shared, but it was really just an altered perspective on the world. I wanted to start this podcast to widen that trauma club, to connect with more people and their experiences, and to give voices and validation to as many people as we could. But when this show began, we had no idea what the world would look like just a few months later. This year has been so full of loss and grief, and the world is essentially being introduced into the trauma club all at once. We learn skills as survivors. Many of those skills are conscious and nameable, but several months into this pandemic, I noticed that I had an entire set of skills that I was unaware of. People were genuinely grieving the loss of their normal lives, and I didn't bat an eye. I realized that through my experiences, I've learned how to cope in these situations. I spent years isolated, not only from other people, but from typical experiences. I spent years not being able to eat at restaurants or go to weddings or travel, and this year, my mind and my body just slipped back into the normal rhythm of that. I listened as friends cried and grieved, and at first I thought there was something wrong with me because I wasn't feeling the same way. But after reaching out to my trauma club, I learned that we were all feeling this. We had all developed this useful and terrible ability to adapt. In the months following this podcast release, we've witnessed so much anger and blaming and hatred. And for my own mental health, I had to take a break from it. All of these negative emotions were being directed at people because others felt like they were losing their rights. And as someone who had already lost all of these quote-unquote rights before, on top of essentially being imprisoned in my own body, I really, really struggled watching this. Until one day, after some great conversations with my trauma club, I realized that all of this anger and blaming and hatred is all about losing control. I remember the angry stage when I first got sick. I remember being so mad at the world and so mad at my doctors and so mad at everyone in my life for not understanding how I felt. This is the response of people being introduced to trauma, of people having their lives abruptly altered against their will. I am in no way condoning anyone's actions under the influence of anger, but I am saying that I can empathize. Those who have already been through that terrifying phase of losing control of their lives can empathize. And if 2020 needs anything, it's empathy.
When 2020 started, I was just about a year into remission. I was the healthiest I'd ever been, and I had big dreams and big plans for this year. Today's episode will be all about how that changed. I want to start with talking about bodies and why we should never, ever talk about bodies. In our culture, there's this fascination with the appearance of our bodies. We comment when someone gains weight, we comment when someone loses weight, we gossip about possible baby bumps, and if someone is aging or looks tired. I live with multiple invisible illnesses, and that you can't see the pain and the exhaustion and the absolute turmoil that is going on inside of me. But you can see my body, and you can see the changes that are happening. When I first got sick, I lost a significant amount of weight. You could see most of the bones in my body, and my face began to sink in. I got a lot of comments from people telling me I look terrible, or asking, are you okay? But at that point, I was undiagnosed. No, I'm not okay, but I cannot give you a reason that will satisfy your curiosity. On top of feeling like absolute shit, I was now being told constantly that I also looked like absolute shit. As I progressed through my illness and started tackling some of those infections, I gained all of that weight back, plus a whole lot more. But I hadn't changed anything about what I was eating or how much I was moving. My body just went into this shift from rejecting all food to rejecting all food and going into a full state of inflammatory shock every time I ate. The weight I had gained wasn't healthy. The weight I had gained was literally just swelling. I was swollen from head to toe with most of my swelling centered in my digestive system. It was painful and it was uncomfortable. Moving hurt. Clothes hurt. Touching anything hurt. But this time, I was met with two very specific and very constant comments of, Oh my gosh, you look so healthy. You look so much better. And, oh my gosh, are you pregnant? But let's break that down. I'm not even going to touch on why you shouldn't ask someone if they're pregnant. It's 2020. If you are still doing that, please stop. It would take me an hour to get ready every single morning. I never wore makeup or did my hair, but it would take me an hour to try and get out of bed and try to get my mind and my body adjusted to the pain level for that day. I would get some rice in my stomach and take pill after pill next to the sink, making sure that they didn't come back up. On the days that they did come back up, I'd have to start all over. And after this, I would go to my full-time job, where many days I was on my feet, teaching children, and by the end of the day, my knees and my hips were so swollen and inflamed that I couldn't walk. My brain was in such a fog that I ran red lights. I burned myself on a lot of hot things. I would forget conversations, and sometimes I would forget entire days. Through most of this, I still had doctors telling me there was nothing wrong with me. I really just needed to talk to a therapist. I was living with an unknown disease that was killing me. I was being dismissed by anyone who could have helped me, and people would come up to me to tell me how healthy and great I looked. I feel like it should go without saying, but weight is not a reflection of someone's health. Let me, I'm just gonna say it one more time. Weight is not a reflection of someone's health. 
We think that because a comment we are making about someone's body is seemingly positive, that it's okay to say. For me, those comments were perpetuating the idea that there was nothing wrong with me and invalidated the daily hell that I was living in. And with that PSA, I bring you to 2020. I know what my body looks and feels like when it's healthy. And towards the beginning of the year, I noticed that my stomach swelling was starting to come back. People around me said it was because I hadn't gone to the gym as much and because I'd introduced all these new foods and was just eating a lot more because it was the holidays. But I knew this was different. I had been in this spot before. My doctor prescribed me three months of a previous medication and we check back in. In that three months, the entire country shut down. I very quickly gained that same swollen weight back, and with it came the exhaustion and the muscle weakness that I knew all too well. The three months of medication did nothing. It slowed some of the gastrointestinal issues, but it didn't put a dent in the inflammation. I then went through a three-week gut biome test where they learned that I had upwards of 12 infections including another staph infection, hanging out in my digestive system. I went on 10 days of very heavy and hard antibiotics that I learned is generally only given for one day as it can cause serious tendon damage. Cool. Essentially, these pills wiped out everything. And then I spent another 10 days on heavy probiotics building everything back up. I finished this course towards the beginning of July and was feeling somewhat better, but not nearly where I needed to be. Since the closure began in March, I had not left my house for anything. Maybe a few trips to the health food store or my doctor's offices. But I knew my body and my immune system, and I had no hope that I would be able to survive COVID. On top of the pandemic, my husband and I had gradually watched our older dog get weaker and lose his hair. And we'd been through so many tests with no results. And in that first week of July, we were told that he had a serious form of cancer and would not survive more than a few months. This dog was what got me through everything I had been through. And I don't want to know an earth where he doesn't exist. I was now giving him medication every few hours on top of all of the medication I was taking. And soon enough, my husband came down with shingles and it became an absolute infirmary under our roof. We also signed papers that week to put our house on the market and had accepted an offer within 24 hours. At the end of each episode, I always say, don't tell anyone it could be worse. I say this because that statement is incredibly belittling and invalidating to someone's experience, but also because, duh, it doesn't need to be said. Of course things can always get worse. That's how life works. The second week of July, things got worse. My husband came home from work early on a Tuesday saying he just didn't feel well. He'd had a fever and body aches. I immediately took my temperature and noticed that I had a low-grade fever as well. We decided to go straight to the clinic for our COVID testing. The line for the clinic was down the street, and we sat in our car for two hours. In that two hours, I started to feel the body aches as well. We got the nose swab, the one that tickles your brain, and we did a rapid blood test. 15 minutes later, the nurse came back over to our car and said our rapid tests were negative and we'd get that nose swab back in five days and gave us no further instructions. We had peace of mind that we didn't have COVID and we went home to fight whatever this flu was that we had. My husband was completely fine by Thursday, but my fever was climbing. 
That Monday morning, I woke up with a lower fever, but vomited almost immediately. I, of course, had to join a conference call for work, and then an hour later, I went downstairs to try and eat. I took a mouthful of orange juice, and it tasted off. I smelled it and realized I couldn't smell anything. I immediately panicked, and I spent about 10 minutes running around the house trying to smell everything. I smelled candles and perfume, and it was like there was nothing in front of me. I then moved to the harder stuff. I smelled alcohol. I smelled floor cleaner, hand sanitizer, and eventually opened the bleach bottle and took a huge whiff. I don't recommend doing that, but also I smelled nothing. My doctor was actually supposed to call me that morning to give me the results of my most recent testing. By the time she called me, I was in a full-blown panic attack. This amazing doctor that I had fought so hard to find a few years earlier stayed on the phone with me for nearly 45 minutes and talked me down. She told me that many rapid tests are only 30% accurate and that if my smell and taste were gone, there was no denying it. I had COVID. Not only did I have COVID, but my tests for everything else had come back with bad news. My inflammation was really elevated, as were several other markers, and we probably didn't kill the infections. But I had a choice. I could try and treat the infections, try to treat the COVID symptoms, or try to treat both at once. But she told me bluntly that if we tried to treat both at once, my body probably wouldn't respond well. I decided to focus on the COVID symptoms and we'd have to let the infections be. She prescribed me two weeks of hydroxychloroquine, a Z-pack, and told me to increase my zinc to three times a day. Now, there is a lot of stuff in the news about hydroxychloroquine, and it sort of became this political issue. But this medication is regularly used for people with Lyme disease, with lupus, and with a whole other host of autoimmune and inflammatory diseases. This medication wasn't going to treat the COVID, but it was going to help bring down my inflammation and hopefully avoid the dangerous effects of the disease. I spent the rest of the day in an absolute panic. And what does panic do? It causes shortness of breath and chest pains, and I spent the day in this cycle of, am I dying of COVID or is this a panic attack? I had seen the news and listened to all of these horror stories. I had multiple underlying conditions, plus I was full of active infections that had already triggered high levels of inflammation. The only thing that prevented me from going completely insane was that I already had purchased a pulse oximeter. I checked my oxygen levels every 30 minutes to assure myself that it was a panic attack and not lack of oxygen that was causing my problems. Later that day, I received a call from a woman who said she worked for the state health department. She said, now that you and your husband have tested positive for COVID, I need to ask you a few questions. And I must have sounded confused because she responded with, oh, you didn't know? No, we didn't officially know. I mean, we assumed because I had lost my smell and my taste, but no one had ever actually called us and told us that we had COVID. We were told five days earlier, our tests were negative and we were sent on our way. We answered all of her questions about who we had seen and where we had been, and she ended the phone call with the words, good luck. 
Her primary care doctor's office called as soon as they got the results as well, and our doctor decided that it was a great time to tell us about all of the patients he had that had died from COVID. Here's the difference in the medical world. There are doctors like my Lyme specialist who will sit on the phone talking you down from a panic attack and will say things like, I don't know what's going to happen, but we're going to do everything that we can. And then there's the rest of the doctors who say things like, yeah, it's serious. I lost another one your age yesterday and didn't see it coming. And we'll end calls with words like, good luck. The complete lack of empathy or even really common emotional sense is a good chunk of why it took 13 doctors to give me my original diagnosis. Even though my husband had felt fine, his fever was back to nearly 102. He was developing that horrible cough and I could not keep anything down. That first night was the absolute worst. I couldn't even try to go to sleep. I just kept picturing that I would close my eyes and just stop breathing in the middle of the night and I would never wake up again. COVID is serious and it is deadly. And unfortunately, because there isn't enough data yet, my only understanding of it was that if you had underlying conditions, you were probably not going to survive. That first night, I managed to fall asleep around midnight just from sheer exhaustion. And within two hours, I woke up throwing up and my arms and my legs were completely numb. Not like tingly, they've fallen asleep kind of numb, but like I could not move numb. I dragged myself to the bathroom floor and threw up for what I imagined was close to an hour. I was trembling and dripping with sweat and there was no way I was going back to sleep. I found napping to be easier. I didn't really sleep at night, but I would sleep on the couch all day. And there was something more calming about the fact that my husband was awake and would be more likely to notice if I just stopped breathing. No, I could not keep anything down. Everything that touched my lips came right back up again. I lost close to 10 pounds in that first few days. And for my husband, his breathing got worse and his pulse ox dropped. His pulse ox dropped to what normally would have been a let's go to the hospital kind of level. But in COVID times, we were told to try and ride it out at home. I remember him saying to me, I'm glad we're going through this together. And he was so right. Going through everything else I had been through was such a deeply lonely experience that it honestly did feel better having someone right there going through it with you, even if that meant that the person I loved more than anything in this world was going through hell too. We lived together on the couch for about two weeks straight. I kept a giant bucket next to my face and basically kept that pull socks attached to my husband, even though I'm pretty sure I gave him much more anxiety than he really needed. I was prescribed anxiety medication after day three of no sleep because each day brought some new and weird symptoms. And because for the first time I was starting to realize that I was not only terrified for myself, but equally if not more terrified for the person that I loved. The symptoms themselves weren't unbearable. I had been through much, much worse, physically. But the anxiety of not knowing what would happen to me or what would happen to him was far worse than any of the physical symptoms. Just before we were diagnosed, I had seen a video that a woman had made documenting her journey through COVID. 
It started with her saying she was diagnosed and that she hoped it passed quickly, and then it was her in the hospital with an oxygen tube in her nose, and then eventually on a ventilator, blinking at the camera until the writing on the screen said that she died. That was the last COVID story I had seen or heard before we were diagnosed, and it was honestly all I could picture. Even though that we were told there wasn't a whole lot that we could do, we just had to write it out, I had been through illnesses before. I had a whole bag of tricks up my sleeve. So my husband and I sat in our little pop-up sauna for an hour every day. We took hot baths, we used heating pads, drank a ton of water, all trying to flush these toxins out of our systems. We took extra zinc and extra vitamin C, extra vitamin D, and honestly the healthiest thing that I did was turn off all of my devices. I didn't look at the news or social media or honestly even really talk to anybody. I needed to keep my mind in a place of healing to help my body get there too. I don't know if any of these things helped. I don't know if the hydroxychloroquine helped. I don't know if the antibiotics helped. Honestly, I'm never going to know because we don't know how much worse it could have gotten. My fever eventually came down. The vomiting took much, much longer to go away. My husband had a fever for about 11 days and his cough lasted more than a few weeks. 14 days after our positive test, we went back to get tested again. He thankfully tested negative, but I was still testing positive. Our primary care doctor called again to give me the, you're not out of the woods yet speech, followed by a chorus of breathing failure usually happens this far into the illness. Cue more anxiety. By week three, my COVID symptoms felt like they were gone but I felt this familiar pain of Lyme creep back in. I had horrible back pain and complete and total muscle exhaustion. I got more specific testing and I learned that two of my Lyme co-infections had flared up in this COVID process, but I couldn't begin treatment until I had cleared COVID. The COVID symptoms subsided, but the anxiety was constant. It still took two more weeks. I got a third COVID test and a fourth, and I finally tested negative after 30 days with this disease. We had survived. The very next day, I transitioned back into my Lyme treatment. And that week, we found out that the vet had actually made a mistake, and our dog, who had this terminal cancer, was actually okay, and he was going to live. That same week, we scrambled to pack an entire house and moved into our new home. I'm back to taking about 30 pills a day, as well as liquid antimicrobials, and I'm slowly seeing the progress. I will be on this treatment plan for six months, and while I'm on it, my immune system is worthless. The only silver lining that I had hoped for was that because we had had COVID, maybe we couldn't get it again? Maybe it was like chickenpox, one time and you're done. But now we are seeing that that isn't the case. There are cases of reinfection and even long haulers with the disease. There have been a lot of articles recently relating COVID to Lyme disease. They have very similar symptoms, and unfortunately for some, the symptoms have yet to go away. 
I'm treating my Lyme symptoms, but there isn't really any way of knowing if any of this is residual from COVID. One of my fears for the people who think that they have COVID is that they really have Lyme disease and that it's going untreated. So, this is you survived, now what? For my now what, unfortunately, when it comes to trauma, it's rare for stories to not have these bumps in the road. I'm hoping that the six months treatment will work, but I'm still dealing with the daily symptoms, and of course, there's always that part in the back of your mind that wonders, maybe it won't work this time. It took nearly five years for me to share my story publicly. I had dealt with a lot of negativity and disbelief, and honestly, just flat out ignorance in that five years. I was worried when I went public that I would be dealing with that on a massive scale. But since sharing my story last September, and since starting this podcast, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. I've grown this trauma club and made some amazing new friends. I rekindled relationships with people I hadn't seen in years and learned about their stories that I never knew. My now what, more than ever, is to grow this platform that we've created and turn it into a place for people to feel less alone. The best way for us to accomplish this is through you. Please share this show with your friends and in your news feeds because you honestly never know who needs to hear some of these stories. This season, we have some incredible guests. Each week, we discuss a different topic, but each week there will be some part of the story that I know you will be able to connect with. 2020 is hard, and I fully get it that some people do not want to sit and listen to the hardships of another person's life. But that's the beauty of this show. You can find connections in these stories and in these struggles, and you can see that life does move forward after trauma. Now comes the part where I tell you not to tell anyone it could be worse. My experience with COVID was awful in so many ways, and I know that my husband and I were incredibly lucky to not end up in the hospital and to not lose our lives. However, knowing that it of course could have been worse does not negate everything that we went through or what I will continue to go through for the next few months. I say this because I know that there are so many people listening that have a story to share, that think that their story isn't good enough or isn't this enough or isn't that enough because of another story that they heard. This is so far beyond not true. If you would like to share your story, we would love to hear from you. You can actually leave us a voicemail right on our host website. It's anchor.fm forward slash you survived now what? We may select your story for a future episode. Please make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes, and remember to give each episode a listen. There is a good chance that you found our show through a specific episode recommendation or through searching episodes that related to your story, but I hope that after you listen to that episode, you will go back and listen to the rest. These are all incredible stories from incredible humans, and that may be the most times I've ever said the word episode in one paragraph. Follow us on social media so you can see pictures from each story and learn about any updates. We are on Facebook at You Survived Now What and Instagram at YSNW Podcast. This show was created, hosted, and produced by me with original music from Evan Nil and logos and art by my wildly supportive father, Max McLaren. Join us each week to laugh with us, cry with us, and survive with us. And remember to never tell anyone it could be worse. I survived. I survived. I survived. Now what?